previously on Hacker Valley Blue. We're doing the very first season of Hacker Valley Blue. This season specifically, we're going to be highlighting threat intelligence. Such a huge part about being a threat intel analyst, and I mean, I think you constantly see it, and see it in job descriptions, is needs to be able to effectively communicate, right? Darcy Webb has been our vocal coach for the last three months or so, and she is just unbelievably amazing at what she actually does. And what does that have to do with threat intelligence? Threat intelligence is a communications-based function. This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. This Hacker Valley Blue episode is sponsored by Risk IQ. There are so many researchers and analysts that I know and trust that use Risk IQ's platform. Not to mention, I have personally leaned on Risk IQ while leading threat intelligence capabilities in my career. Risk IQ has been crawling and absorbing the internet so practitioners can leverage that data during investigations and research. If you want to learn more about Risk IQ, visit riskiq.com or jump down into the show notes for more information. In this Hacker Valley Blue episode, we have Darcy Webb, which is Ron and I's personal vocal coach. We've been working with Darcy for a little while now, and she is incredible. And she is the best at getting the most out of that instrument you call your voice. Communication is so important for a threat intelligence analyst and threat intelligence leaders, so we had to bring her in to talk about it. Let's get right to this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, along with an extremely special guest. We have Darcy Webb, a.k.a. the Speech Diva. She is an actress, former coach for TEDx Cambridge, and someone who loves teaching people how to access the power of language to move people's hearts and change people's minds. True pleasure to have you on the show, Darcy, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I really am so happy to be here with both of you today. It's just great. Happy to be here. So glad to have you. You've been working with us for a little over a month now. We'd love to hear how much you think we've grown in this month. But for everyone out there that doesn't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit of your background and what you're doing today. Well, I started out many years ago as an actress, and I, I was on stage off and on for years, stopped for a little while to raise two kids. But you know how I really got interested in this was many years ago, I was on stage, I was doing an original work. It was a premiere of a very prestigious musical. And there were lots of people in the audience that I wanted to impress. And I knew I was doing a good job. And this director came up to me after the performance and he said, Darcy, he said, you were so great. If only I could have heard you. And it was like a knife in my heart. Mm. I was 26 at the time. 
And there were a few things I didn't realize. And one of the things I didn't realize was, is that your voice really matures over the years. You know, my voice probably wasn't fully matured. I actually have a small mouth and a small head. So I had to learn how to use those resonators and play that instrument. So I've spent the last 25 years teaching, exploring that aspect of performance, how to use your voice as an instrument, how to play it, and how to compel people to hang on your every word. Yeah. Would love to give people a bit of a peek under the hood. We've been working with you for several weeks at this point. Would love to hear your thoughts on the growth with Ron and I. I think it's been great. I think that you guys have really improved. And the more you practice, the more I see the growth. So if you take a week because, you know, you're moving or because something has come up, I really, I can tell that difference. And one of the differences is, is that you become a little less aware of that instrument and you also have a little less self-confidence. So if you're speaking all the time and you're practicing all the time and you're playing your instrument all the time, you're going to feel really good when you finally come down to doing the task at hand. Now, just for the listeners, one of the things that you two have been doing is not only are you working on everyday speech, but you're also working poetry. And poetry is a wonderful thing to work on to practice your voice and speech because It's like music. It's a way to practice making music with your words. And there's so much musicality in the English language. I don't care what anybody says. People say English is an ugly language. It's not. It's beautiful. It's how we choose to make that music. And I think that what you both are doing is really learning how to do that right now. Shall I tell you? I always love how you mention the fact that language is a lot like music and almost like creating magic. How did you discover this music component, this magical component to language? How are you applying it today besides just to teach Chris and I? Well, first of all, I started teaching university students, actors and musical theater majors about 20 years ago using the international phonetic alphabet. Now, nobody needs to learn how to, unless you're an actor, you don't really need to know the international phonetic alphabet, which we call the IPA for short, in order to learn how to make music. But it helps because what you do is you really end up dissecting the word into sounds. So when you think about a word, and I've said this to you both before, the soul of the word is the vowel. The vowel contains the soul of the word. And then the consonant sounds create a container for that. Consonant sounds are almost like percussion sounds. And when you, when you study the international phonetic alphabet and you learn the different sounds, the consonant sounds and the vowel sounds, you actually can hear the music that they play. So there are consonant sounds called stop plosives. Ticket, ticket. And then there's that vowel sound in the first syllable and the second syllable. Eh, eh, ticket. And so now we got something going on here. <laughs> and you can do that with all kinds of words. And I'm doing it right now. There's another kind of consonant sound called a fricative. 
And that's when we do that breathing exercise where you, you hunch over and you go zzz and and those are fricatives and you can play them and make them hum and make them buzz. And you're creating vibration when you do that. And when you create that vibration, the audience actually captures, they feel that and it catches them. And then they start riding that wave with you. Mm. When we do it during training or when I'm doing it during practice, I feel my entire body resonating. It's a pretty unique sensation for sure. Are you resonating now? Can you feel? I me? am. Good. I am resonating. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Are like. Are you resonating, Ron? I want you to be resonating. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> See, she's going to keep us on our toes for this episode, making sure that we're doing everything correctly. <laughs> <I'm taking notes. laughs> yeah, I know that you really harp on people playing their instruments, so not trying to sound like anyone else. But I would really like your opinion on really great speakers. Like who, who do you think are some of the best speakers out there? They're eloquent. You hang on every word. Who are some of the folks that you look up to? I love to listen to Oprah Winfrey speak. I think she's just great. She's compelling. She's not afraid to take a pause. People are afraid of pauses when they speak. And pauses can be really powerful. And she uses them. And she also uses her language. She will really play that instrument. So I like to listen to Oprah Winfrey. I love Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is so gifted. You know, everybody says James Earl Jones because he has that very deep voice. And that's really great. But the other person I like to listen to who does not have a very deep voice is David Sedaris. And he's the satirist and the humorist, and he used to broadcast on National Public Radio. And he sort of talks like this, but it's a very distinctive sound, and I always Mm -hmm. want to listen to him. So it isn't so much that the voice has to be mellifluous or sort of James Earl Jonesy or Oprah Winfrey. It just has to be distinctive, and the person who's speaking must speak with intention. And that's one of the things that you two and I are starting to talk about. We're starting to work on. That's something, Chris, that you and I are going to go into more in depth this week is speaking with intention. A lot of people will talk and they'll just like throwing spaghetti on the wall. They just throw bunches of words at people instead of considering what's coming out of their mouths. I'm curious to know if after six weeks of working together, if you are more aware of what is coming out of your mouth, not just how it sounds, but what it is you're saying. You know, it's funny. I speak a lot less, like a lot less. I I, I was pretty, I wouldn't say quiet, but very choosy of, of the words I use and the things I bring up. But I feel like now, if I don't have anything that's going to be like impactful to the people around me, I just don't say anything at all. And then when I have something of value to say, that's when I, I open my mouth. Yeah. I think since working together for me, just as you were just saying right now, the power of pauses. I'm definitely the type of person that can get tripped up over their sentences, speaking too fast. But since working together, like I've learned that 
there's nothing wrong with the pause. And it's actually good. It's a good mental break for the listener. It helps me get to the more important part of the conversation, helps me be a better communicator, but it also allows the listener kind of that short momentary mental break. Do you think that there's a lot to be said for that momentary break? I know we talked about it during our session, but why is that momentary break, the pauses, so impactful for the listener? Because it allows the brain to catch up with what you're saying. It just allows that thought to land, to sink in. And because people are so afraid of that dead zone, they think of it as a dead zone, they just keep talking. And it doesn't allow the listener to take in the full impact of what you just said. As a podcaster, I think we make that mistake a lot just in the field by asking like five questions at once. You'll kind of just throw it all out there. There's no pauses and it's five whole questions. And sometimes the audience or the guests can be like, wait, what was the question exactly? There was so many pathways and different questions that were jumbled into one. One thing that I really love is the path that we've been designing for becoming a better communicator. What type of tools, what kind of program can an individual, our listeners, build for themselves to become a better communicator through language? I think that working with a coach is really important. And that said, there are hundreds of things on the internet. You know, there are people all over the internet, voice and speech, some of them are my colleagues, voice and speech professionals who are talking about how to build a better instrument. But it's really important to build the fundamentals first because nobody really understands how this thing works. I mean, not very many people do. You start talking when you're about a year old. You start making sounds when you're six months old. Then you make you start making words when roughly a year old or two or three years old. And pretty soon you're talking. And you take it, it's like walking. You take it all for granted. But you don't understand that there are vocal folds that are important <laughs> for making that sound. And that our body is the resonator for the sound that the vocal folds make as the air comes up through those folds or how the nasal passages affect the sound or once we learn the basic anatomical features of our voice how we can preserve it how we can rest it when we're vocally tired that's really important and how we can restore it so I think those are the fundamentals, and those are things that the three of us have gone over. And Ron, you're a little ahead of the game, so now we're working on poetry. But then we can really explore the juice, you know, the good stuff. But yes. I do not think it's easy to just jump right in and be able to speak better. Oh, I'm going to be in a podcast, and I'm going to, you know, look at a couple of videos, and then I'll be able to talk better. It just doesn't quite work that way. One thing I wanted to kind of go back to with the pausing, because you look at things like comedy. I think someone that does pausing really well in comedy is Dave Chappelle. He knows when to stop and he knows when to hold the, the audience's attention and, and just wait. Yeah. But there are also comedians out there like 
the late Robin Williams, Bo Burnham, the people that that speed through their comedy and it's almost like you have to to rewatch it. Yeah. Do you think there's a, a place to actually almost like inundate the listener with information? Is there a place for that? Yeah, sure. I think that it's called variety. You know, we do not want to speak in the same way, in the same tone or the same level all the time because that's very boring. I mean, there are times when we get very excited and Robin Williams was often very excited. I just watched, <laughs> I rewatched The Birdcage and he has that great scene where he's directing the dancer when the guy says, well, I don't know what to do. And he goes through five different choreographers and he just spews them out one right after another as he's dancing and demonstrating. That was a unique talent. I mean, we can do that. We can learn how to speak very quickly and we should, particularly if we're performers or speak very slowly. It's called creating variety. We need variety. That's what keeps the listener's attention. And so, yes, sometimes it's really delightful. So there are these pauses, but there's also something called filler words. Tell us a little bit about that and how that affects language. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. Well, everybody uses filler words. And when I'm tired, I use them, too. They're because we're afraid of pauses. That's why we use um, and, um, like, and, um, like, uh, like, you know, you know, it's really, you know, you, you know, you know, <laughs> I'm the worst, you knower ever. <laughs> I absolutely cannot stand it. <laughs> and how you break that is you listen to yourself. You know, you record your, I've told this to people before, record yourself and listen to yourself and count your likes. And it, I'm so sorry to say this, but it really is just like not smoking cigarettes or not biting your fingernails. You create an awareness around it and then you do it. And every time you do it, you go, oh, I'm sorry. And then you back up and you say the sentence again. And eventually you, you do stop doing it. And I do it, you know, I'm just doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't do it, Darcy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You're perfect in our eyes, Darcy. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, I would like to back up because you asked me a question. You said you were asking me a question about speakers that I admire. And those speakers are on stage or, or on film. But I thought of someone behind a microphone that I have been following for years. And I don't know if either of you know her, Terry Gross mm -mm. from Fresh Air, National Public Radio. She is from Philadelphia, but she has, well, first of all, she must have really great sound equipment because everything just sounds so glorious and so intimate. But she asks really pointed questions in a very compassionate and caring way and very deliberate and very intentional when she talks. So if you don't know her, she would be one to check out. I love her. Definitely going to check that out now. And so when we get to magic, like where, where does this confluence of pitch and pauses and articulation, like how do you actually get to the point 
where you're actually producing magic with everything that you say? When you are finally comfortable with your technique, when you have mastered your technique and your technique is not mastering you, when you can speak with joy and not worry about how you sound, then you can make magic. Then you can make magic. You've discovered the sensual pleasure of riding a fricative or popping a pea or just humming through your nose on those things that we call nasal continuance and fully expressing a vowel. And the three of us have worked vowel sounds together with our vowel ladder. And that's a wonderful way to make music. Once you learn that vowel ladder and it gets in your cells, you can't help but use it in your speech without even thinking about it. Ticket. The vowel ladder for me has helped me out quite a bit. And I think I'm getting closer and closer to really feeling like I'm making magic. I already feel like I'm making magic in some regard. And what has helped me the most surprisingly was reciting a speech with my tongue out. I don't know why that's so helpful, (laughs) but it's almost like I could hear the words. I could turn the words and you've been helping me with this turn the words and use onomatopoeia to my advantage. Make the words sound like their definition. Yeah. What was the magical experience for you? How did you unlock your magic? You know what it was? You know what it was? When I was in third grade, I had this lovely teacher and her name was Mrs. McDonald. And a few times a week, Mrs. McDonald would make us all get up and read. We'd have to stand there with a book and read aloud. And she used to say, now let's read with expression. And there was something about the way she said that that made me realize, oh, it doesn't have to sound like, go, dog, go. The light is green now. Stop, dog, stop. The light is red now. It could, we could make it sound more interesting by reading with what Mrs. McDonald called expression. And I think that was impactful for me. Wow. And that was, a, you know, that was when I was a little kid. And I think I've always carried that through. Now, I will tell you this, my family, the family who raised me, you know, the people I grew up with, <laughs> really thought I was extra. They didn't use that word, but they, I, they thought I was just a little too theatrical and a little too dramatic for their taste. <laughs> They still do, but that's just too bad. (laughs) What's your favorite poetry to recite? I think I gave it to Ron when he asked me for another poem. A lemon. Pablo Neruda. I just love... Pablo Neruda writes the best love poems, and I am a mad fan of love poems. I really am. I like that a lot, and I, I would steer your listeners to Pablo Neruda if they have any affinity at all for for poetry. Did you like that poem, Ron? Did you like? I did. It took me a bit to warm up to it. I had to recite it a few times. And like after the fifth or sixth time of reciting the poem, it really started to mean more and more to me. And our sessions, you helped explain the poem even further. I looked up a few translations. And I was like, wow, there's so much depth to just a few dozen lines. Yeah. 
And going back to onomatopoeia, you can make so many words in that poem sound like what they mean. Onomatopoeia, when we talk about onomatopoeia, people think about like sound effect words like bam or splash or whoosh. But as I have said to both of you, every single word has the potential for onomatopoeia. Sad, rage, joy. And we can make it sound like all kinds of things depending on how we feel about that word. I'm sure it takes a lot of courage to use onomatopoeia for the first time in some type of speech, some type of presentation. Are there any consequences of using that in a presentation? What do you think? Yeah, you really want to be selective. Now, when when you and I did it, and Chris, you and I did that exercise too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and... You're not going to talk that way. If I said every word that I'm saying to you today using onomatopoeia, you'd probably throw this podcast away. (laughs) Let's get another guest. (laughs) We need to, we need to find somebody else to fill this spot because that's, that's just an exercise. That's just something to heighten your awareness I think it takes courage to step out of your comfort zone. It takes courage to, as a colleague of mine, an acting colleague of mine said, it takes courage to break form, meaning to be different than who you're used to being. So even if you use onomatopoeia on one word, it can take a little bit of courage just to sound a little bit different. And I really love what you say about using vowels to your advantage. There's so much to kind of unpack there. And what we were working on uh, a few sessions ago was identifying the most important parts of the sentence and really expressing the vowel sound for those important words, the, the words that the sentence wouldn't live without. Yes, now you're you're tipping my hand because that's what Chris and I are going to work on. <laughs> but that's all right. Yes, and what we're doing is we're we're identifying the important words or the operative words, the important words in that sentence, and filling that word with the vowel sound so that people will hear it. Not only will they hear it, they will feel it. And that's really important. I often go back to vibration, to creating the vibration so that people can feel it. One of the things that I'm really excited about exploring, and especially now, now that in the time of COVID, when we're all on screen and on mics all the time, is how can we transmit those vibrations across those airwaves or transmit those vibrations electronically? How can we do that without pushing, without forcing? I'm really intrigued with that. I think that's really important because we're going to be on screens and on microphones a lot. You guys already are. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As people are starting to use their different tools for their career, 
I believe it's a, a game of percentages and a game of inches. You're stacking the deck in your favor. So when you're presenting, your slides should be aesthetically pleasing. When you are crafting your words, it should be concise and clear. As people look for additional things to add to their repertoire, what should they be considering in terms of speech? How impactful is actually your ability to speak clearly and with music when trying to get your point across or persuade someone to do something? Oh, my goodness. Can I give you an example? Please. When I was at the university where I was teaching up until a couple of months ago, I was on a search committee for an acting teacher. And her interview was a conference call. So we were all sitting around the table, and this big speaker was in the middle of the table, and we began to ask her questions. And she began to talk like this, and she was trying to make a case for why she would really be a good teacher for this particular group of students. And she was completely unaware that she was speaking in what we call up-talk, that every statement ended up like a question, which weakened her point of view. And so when she got off the call, we all looked at each other and said, we can't have her <laughs> right. because we don't really believe her because she did not believe in herself enough to make the statement. So... I'm hoping that I am answering the question properly. When we become aware of how our speech works and how we are affecting people with our speech, then we can really affect them. There are other habits, unconscious habits that people make. You often have heard people talking in this particular um, vocal fry, which is pretty annoying. And some people have it to a great extent, and some people only have it a little bit of it. But it's pretty annoying. And it makes people not want to listen. There are plenty of podcasts that I go to and I listen because I am interested in the topic, and I will turn it off immediately because I cannot listen to the speaker. Mm, right. It's very painful to listen through if the speaker doesn't sound engaged or too monotone. And I think that the interesting part is when you start identifying these things within yourself, some of these, not necessarily flaws, but things that you're not using to your full advantage or full potential. And we were just talking about foundation and kind of having a room to practice. You were saying that you might not be able to learn everything on a podcast or a YouTube channel. But what is one thing that our viewers or listeners can do today and practice to build one aspect of their foundation? I love that question. Breath. It's breath. It's breathing. If we are breathing and allowing the words to come out on the breath, your intention is going to be more believable. Your intention is going to be more compelling. Your speech will probably be a little clearer if you're speaking on your breath. So oftentimes what happens is, particularly in a situation like this, like the one I'm in right now, 
somebody might be a little nervous and so they might be holding their breath as I'm doing right now. I'm not, I've got breath in, in my lungs, but I'm not really using it to speak because I'm nervous. So if we just release those muscles in the belly, it actually can let the breath out. And if we can just think about letting those words sail out on that breath, I heard someone describe it, and I use this often when I teach. The in-breath is the thought that you want to express. And the out-breath is the expression of that thought. But the words have to travel on the breath. That's one fundamental thing that it often changes so much, just that little bit. Magical. Wow. Super powerful. Darcy, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. For folks that want to stay up to date with you, the things that you have going on, or maybe even bring you on to help them with their speech. What are some ways that people can do that? Oh, I would love that. And thank you so much. I've had such a good time talking to you too, but I always do. You can find me at DarcyWeb.com. You can also find me on Facebook, The Speech Diva, Facebook slash The Speech Diva. You'll find me there. Those are the two best ways. You can email me, Darcy at DarcyWeb.com. I would highly recommend everybody use it. Everybody reach out, stay up to date. I'm looking very forward to continuing to work together. It's a true pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'll make sure we leave all the information in the show notes also for the viewers. And can't wait to have you back on again, Darcy. Thanks so much. Let's do it with video next time and I'll... (laughs) We'll knock them dead. Yes. (laughs) Thank you.